0: want to welcome all those by way of television this morning. It's a great privilege to come into your homes as we represent the resurrection faith of Jesus Christ. And we trust that through our services that you'll find that resurrection faith also. We invite you to sing along with you the very numerous choruses familiar during this Easter season. And again, it's a privilege to come by way of television and radio and Facebook and other means of communication to bring about that Christ the Lord is risen today as we pay tribute. Let us turn in our purple hymnals to page 302, 302, verses 1 through 4. Christ the Lord is risen today. If you'd like to stand, we pray that you would stand with us now. Purple Hymnals. souls to sing Hallelujah. Where's thy victory most deep Be like him, like him. thank god for our praise service and our opening hymn as we turn to our praise song we believe prayers for the chris larson's daughter michelle Rewate family you'll find that on your insert we believe you may be seated So we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray that we may profess that, confess it, and may possess us that jubilant faith and overcoming joy. We thank you for our continental breakfast this morning at 8.45 in our Sunday school class. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom of Sunday school. Now we've been called into worship to praise you, which we shall do when we get to home, our heavenly home, where wisdom will be gathered, teachings will be taught, but we will praise, and that will be the essence of our life, to praise the Lord, to to shout to the Lord, to lift up the Lord's name. And while we're here upon the earth, we are to arise in praise for Christ. The Lord has risen today and we believe. We thank you, Father, for Chris Larson being with us this morning as we pray for his daughter, Michelle. We pray that you continue to have your hand of presence and awareness to her. Grant her your strength, blessings of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit there. We pray Isaiah 53 over her, that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Pray that you continue to have your hand in a reweight family and other members of our congregation, Lord, that have health challenges and that have experienced grief and loss. And we remember the faith of our fathers and our mothers living still, in our lives as we celebrate this Easter season. We come to you, O Lord, this morning acknowledging that we're never saying goodbye to our loved ones in Christ, we're just going to say, see you later. Because the Bible reminds us for Christians that to be absent from the body is to be present at home with the Lord, and certainly we grieve, but we grieve not as those who have no hope or for our hope is in Jesus Christ. We pray that the faith and belief, the overcoming struggles that earth, earth experienced during the first Christians, the rolling away of the stone, that the stones of unbelief and the stones of mistrust would be flooded with our belief and our trust in you. We pray for many of the unchurched to have not this resurrection faith, this hope in Jesus Christ, who's the author and finisher of our faith. We pray for unsaved loved ones today, Lord, that they may find the truth in the life in the way which is Jesus Christ. We pray, oh Lord, for those who are not with us today, that those who by way of television or radio or YouTube or all the other means of communication that we're relaying this message, that they would just reach out to Jesus, who is the healer. Jesus was the truth and life and the way. Whatever particular problem they may have this morning by way of television or radio or YouTube or means of communication, we give you praise, Father, that we preach a very evangelical message. The Evangel, which is the light that comes in the midst of darkness, the good news in the midst of passivity and loathsomeness and ransom that you've come to set the captives free. We pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds our souls and our spirits as we give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise that we may truly say that we've seen the Lord in the, the faces and the hymns that are sung this morning and scripture that is studied. We ask a special blessing, O Lord, upon John chapter 20, verses one through 10. Those who are listening to us, as they turn to John 20, one through 10, as we open the word, open us to your Holy Spirit now as we gather, as you've taught us to pray, sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned, our scripture lesson is taken from John chapter 20, 1 through 10. Mike, would you come and prepare to? read now from John... 20th chapter, verses 1 through 10, which deals with the passage of the resurrection of Jesus. Also, Mark, the 28th chapter, verses 1 through 10, Mark 16, 1 through 8, Luke 24, 1 through 12. Early, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John who who wrote this book, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. And the two were running together with the other disciple, which was John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and John saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon and Peter came following John and went into the tomb. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Good morning and happy Easter, brothers and sisters.
0: Happy Easter. Christ, the is risen.
1: He is risen indeed. <laughs> Mary traveled to the Lord's tomb early in the morning, so it was still dark. The first thing she noticed when she got there was that the tomb's carverstone had been removed. That in itself was not a insignificant uh, note. Cover cover stones for tombs were several hundred pounds. On top of that, they were laid in an incline so that you couldn't push it up to get it in a tomb. These stones weighed several hundred pounds and like I said, were set on an incline. Furthermore, Jesus' tomb had a Roman seal placed on it. Anybody who disturbed or removed a Roman uh, seal was punished by death. The Romans did all they could do to prevent one thing, anyone anyone from getting into the tomb. What they didn't plan on or what they couldn't prepare for was somebody supernaturally getting out. Some of the gospels say that Mary went to the tomb with others, but Mary, John's focus was Mary alone. So he didn't mention others that were with her. But the fact that others were there was confirmed by Mary when she said, we, plural, we, do not know where they have laid him. So there's obviously others there. Upon hearing that disturbing news, Peter and John ran to the tomb. John was younger and, of course, faster, so he got there first. He bent down and looked into the tomb and clearly saw the slab where Jesus was laid, but there's no body. The Hebrew word for the word saw is serai. It means observe or scrutinize. So he didn't just glance in the tomb, he looked in and saw that the body was missing. And Jesus' tomb was typical of of rich man's tomb, because that's whose tomb it was before it was given to Jesus. So it was pretty spacious and big. Back then, the custom was for them to believe that they could take some of their belongings with them. So rich men's tombs were larger to allow for more stuff to be put in other than just the body. When the impulsive Peter got to tomb, he, he didn't have the same cultural hesitation. The other one did, so he went straight in. And John, when John saw that Peter went in, he went in too. An important observation here to make us is, is that there was a shroud that Jesus' body was laying there. But there was something else to note. The, the headpiece was neatly folded and set aside from the shroud. It was at this moment that both John and Peter knew about the truth of Jesus. He had risen, and they went home not only trying to capture the thought in their head, but they knew, so their faith had actually increased. I went a little further on mine. I'm going up to verse 18. Now Mary went to the tomb and she started crying because of the significant, because of what happened there. Mary went to the tomb and started crying. She just sat out and she, she wept bitterly on the tomb's opening. But when she looked in, there's two angels, one angel on each, each end of the, the place where Jesus was laying. They, the angels noticed her and asked her, why are you crying? Wow. They knew. But they asked her, Why are you crying? She said, Because they, they've taken the body and don't know where, where they've laid him. Just like the other one. Another here is about a shepherd. A good shepherd, if a wolf came down or something, or a thief came down to take one of the sheep away, a good shepherd would face that opponent. Get rid of them. But a bad shepherd, a bad shepherd, when it says bad shepherd, it means they wouldn't they wouldn't protect the sheep. They would run the other direction and leave the ship sheep unprotected. That would be the hired hand. The hired hand only gives the appearance of protection. It'd be like if you the police officer's low uniforms or or military people without uniforms. Oh, there's a lot of them. Oh, we're protected, right? Not really. <laughs> Unless they had the uniforms and know their duties, we're not protected. That was why the false uh, shepherd was brought up. But Jesus said something very interesting here at this point. He said, my sheep know my voice. If you know someone's voice, you recognize someone's voice. It only stands for reasons. That you know them personally. That's why he said that. The sheep that are not in, in, in the Jesus the Lord's fold, fold will not know his voice, so they do not know him. But if you know Jesus, you will know his voice, you will follow his bidding, and you are of that flock. Jesus said they know his voice, so they are the flock. We are part of one flock. One flock is what we're part of the Lord's flock, we're part of God's flock. We are his children, with the Lord coming to earth as a human, and not only do we kind of understand that, but we accept it in our hearts that he came for us, for you, for you, for you, for all of us. We're all in God's flock. He is not a hired hand. He's there to protect us, and most importantly, our souls. Happy Easter.
0: Christ the Lord is risen, risen indeed. Amen. The chapter that we've just begun takes us from Christ's death to Christ's resurrection. And like Matthew and like Mark, like Luke, John in our scripture dwells on these two great events. Each could be taken and spoken about for years. These two great events with peculiar fullness and particularity, we need not wonder. The whole of of saving Christianity, and that's what Christ wants us to believe and receive, saving Christianity. Many can believe in Christianity because Christianity is is found true in every dimension. The historicity, the history of Christ is proven. There's more accounts of Jesus than accounts of any other individual throughout history. And the whole of saving Christianity hinges on these, these two facets, that Christ died sin and your sin for our sins and then he rose again for our justification we are clean and purified just as if we had not sinned by the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was broken for us we studied this on on Good Friday witnessed by many in the Thompson family many of you that were here and those who are not here due to various circumstances in life. And I, I think so much of Vern because Vern was one that he put the black cloth on the cross. And I realized in putting that black cross, that black stole on the cross is not an easy task. We, Chris and I, labored for quite some time to get it on the cross. And as many of you that were in here during our praise and worship, it just about took me the entire praise and worship time to get the stole off the cross. Then I remember on Good Friday how Lee Gross would always have a special number, or on Easter Sunday, Lee would share with us in faith his singing ability and how wondrous that was. And you missed those personnel who who have worshiped with us for so many years that have become almost closer than biological family, spiritual family. And the whole of saving Christianity hinges on these two facts, that Christ died for our sins, your sin, my sin, and then he rose again for our justification. The chapter before our eyes, and just in these mere few verses, deserves special, special attention. Of all the four evangelists, none of the evangelists supplies and deeply gives us this interesting and succinct evidences of the resurrection and primarily i believe because it was the disciple who jesus said he loved dearly it was a disciple who jesus said even on the cross mother behold thy son and son behold thy mother john we are taught in these passages before us that those who love christ Most are those who have received more benefit from him. The first whom St. John names among those who came to Christ supercure or the the tomb is Mary Magdalene. Now the history of this faithful woman, no doubt, is, is hidden in much, much obscurity. We don't know a great deal about her, Although the three preachers that I listened to this morning, from probably about from 4 to 7 in the morning, these three or four preachers, as they dealt with Mary Magdalene, they, they all felt that she had, was not the Mary Magdalene or was a habitual sinner against the Seventh Commandment. And a vast amount of needless history has been heaped upon her memory as if she was once this habitual sinner against the seventh commandment. Yet there is literally no evidence, whatever, that she was anything of the kind. But we are distinctly told that Mary Magdalene is one of whom the Lord had cast out seven, seven devils, according to Mark 16, verse 9, and Luke 8, verse 2 one who had been subjected in a very peculiar way to Satan's possession and and one whose gratitude to our Lord for deliverance, deliverance was of great gratitude that seemed to know no bounds. That in short, of all of our Lord's followers on earth, none seemed to have loved Jesus as much as Mary Magdalene none felt that they owed they were indebted so much as to Christ as Mary Magdalene none none had felt so strongly that there was nothing too great to do for Christ I think it's beautifully put when one says that Mary Magdalene was last she was the last to leave the cross and she was the first the first one at the grave she stayed longest there and was the first one there she could not rest till she was up to seek jesus she sought jesus while he was yet while it was yet dark even even before she had the light to seek him by day then in a word having received much received much she she loved much and loving much, she did much, in order to prove the reality, the reality of her love. Now the case before us, you and I, throws very broad and clear light on the question which, which ought to be deeply interesting to every true hearted servant of Christ. How is it that many, many who profess and call themselves Christians do so little for the Savior whose name they gladly bear? How is it that many whose faith and grace it would would be uncharitable to deny work so little, give so little, say so little, take so little pains to promote Christ's name and Christ's cause and bring glory to Christ in the world? These questions these questions admit of only one answer. It is a low, a very low sense of debt and obligation to Christ, which is the account of the whole matter. Early this morning when I arrived in the church, I noticed a, some junk out in the parking lot, even, even left a receipt and as I was grabbing some gloves because there was a number of items out there, cups, even condoms. Marilyn was kind enough to clean and dispose of those items. On the grounds of the church, parking lot. These questions admit of only one answer. It is a low sense of debt and obligation to Christ, which is the account of the whole matter. Where sin is not felt, where sin is not felt at all, nothing is done and... Where sin is little felt, little is done. The one who is deeply conscious of one's own guilt, and one who is deeply conscious of one's own corruption and deeply convinced that without the blood, without the blood of Christ, and the body is broken and intercession of Christ, they would sink deservedly into the lowest, the lowest of hell. This is the one who will spend and be spent for Jesus and and think that one can never do enough to show forth their, their praise, their praise of Christ. Let us daily pray that we may see the sinfulness of our sin and the amazing grace of, of Christ, his amazing grace, Christ more clearly and distinctly. And then and only then shall we cease to be cool or lukewarm and slovenly in our work for Christ, where jesus says in the book of revelation be ye not lukewarm but be ye either hot or cold or I'll, I'll spew you out of my mouth then and then only shall we understand such burning zeal burning zeal as that of mary and comprehend what paul the apostle paul meant when he said the love of christ the love of christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live shall not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And we are taught, we are taught secondly in these verses that, there are widely different temperaments, the temperament of the pulpit or the temperament of the pew, different, widely different temperaments and different believers. This is a point which is curiously brought out in the conduct of Peter and John when Mary Magdalene told them that the Lord's body was gone. We are told that they both ran to the tomb running to the tomb, but John the disciple whom Jesus loved, the Bible says, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Then comes out the differences between the two men, Peter and John. Now John of the two was more gentle, was more quiet, was more tender, more reserved, more retiring, more deep feeling. And he stooped down and he looked, but he went no further. Peter, who was more hot, more zealous and more impulsive and fervent and forward, cannot be content with going down into the tomb, we may be sure was more deeply attached to our Lord. In the hearts of both, both at this critical juncture were full of hopes, they were full of fears and They were full of all forms of anxieties and expectations. They were all tangled together, yet each behaves in his own characteristic fashion. We we need not doubt that these things were intentional. They were written, written for our learning. And let us learn from the case before us to, to make allowances for wide varieties in the inward character of all believers, all believers to do so will save us much trouble in our journeys of faith and and prevent many an uncharitable thought oftentimes we are in in the games of comparisons and let us not judge brethren harshly and and tear them down in our low place because they do not see or feel things exactly as we see and we feel and because things do not affect or strike them just as they affect and and strike us, the flowers. You remember the olden days? I think it was like some 25 years ago, we had the Easter parade, and I think almost at a max, we had some 43 different plants on our altar, and how the Petersons would get stressed out days in advance because the pastor at the time, Pastor Walder, had every particular plant had a number and it had to be strategically placed on the staircase. It was almost like being at a nursery, wasn't it, Janet? The smell of some 43, and there may have been more plants before I came, but I remember particularly that one year that there was 43 plants that were brought by parishioners in remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus. Rather hastily and put them down to a low place. Now the subjects of his kingdom are not all exactly of one tone and one temperament, though they all love the same savior and are written in the same book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And the Church of Christ has some in its ranks who are the Peters and some who are the Johns and the place for the work of all to do. I imagine there are different temperaments among all the disciples. And let us love all who, who serve Christ sincerely and thank God that they love at all and the great thing and the Most important thing is to love Jesus. I learned very quickly in the chaplaincy, serving nearly 50 some different denominations. When asked what denomination are you? I would say I'm, I'm just a follower of Christ, the truth and life and the way. We are taught finally, finally in these verses that there, there's much ignorance, much ignorance even among true believers. I so appreciate Sue, one of our newest followers. She said, I, I don't want controversy. I just want you to tell me what I need to know and I want to grow. She's just so open, you know, to grow. That's how we all ought to be, open, open and sincere to growth. And this is a point which is brought out here with a very singular aim and and distinctiveness. John himself, the writer of this gospel, records of himself and his companion, Peter, because he was the author of this book, John, beloved. And And yet they knew not the scripture. They knew not the scripture. You know, we have the scripture, but they did not. It hadn't been recorded yet. John says, and they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. How truly wonderful this seems. For three, three long years, Jesus began his ministry at the young age of 30 and was crucified when he was 33, Some just three years. Can you imagine that? 36 months only of preaching for three long years these two leading apostles had had heard all our lord speak of his own resurrection as a fact and yet they had not understood it they had not understood it again and again jesus had had spoken and has staked the truth of his messiahship on his rising from the dead, and yet they had never taken it to heart and taken it to meaning. We little realize the power, the power that the mind, the power that the mind has exercised by wrong teaching in childhood and by early prejudice imbibed in our youth. Surely the Christian minister has little right to complain of ignorance among his hearers when he marks the ignorance and realizes the ignorance of Peter and John under the teaching of Christ himself in his ministry for some 36 months and three years of side-by-side teaching. And after all, we must remember that, that true grace, true grace, and I like people to understand that the grace I talk about is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And it's not head knowledge. It's the one thing that's needful, God's grace. We are in the hands of a very merciful and compassionate Savior who, who passes by and pardons much, much ignorance when he sees that a heart a heart in the sight of God that's open and yielding. Some things indeed we must know, and without knowing them, we cannot be saved. But our own sinfulness and our own guilt, we cannot be saved. Our own sinfulness and guilt, the office of Christ, the office of Christ as Savior and the necessity of our repentance and the necessity of our faith, Are very important but the one that knows these things may be in others respects and I I like how Billy Graham always used to say it you know major major in the importance and minor in the insignificance things we have grazed together with much ignorance and you may ask yourself, in fact, the extent to which one may have grace together with much ignorance, and another may have much knowledge and yet have no grace, is one of the greatest mysteries in religion, and one which the last day alone will be will be unfolded. Let us then seek knowledge and be ashamed of ignorance, but above all else, let us make sure that like peter and and john we have grace and we have the right heart father this morning as we reach out to those by way of television and radio and other means of communication we must remember that true grace and not head knowledge is the one thing that's very needful we are in the hands of a very merciful and compassionate savior who, who passes by and pardons pardons our much ignorance when when he sees a heart, a heart that's right in the sight of God, a heart that's open, yielded and willing to grow. Some things indeed we must know and without knowing them we cannot be saved. Our our own sinfulness and our guilt, the, the offices of Christ as our Savior, the necessity of repentance and faith, such things are those are essential to salvation. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, May we dedicate and rededicate our lives. Every day we should dedicate and rededicate our lives to Christ in his work through his Holy Spirit in our lives. Would you join me in these words? Dear Jesus, I seek you, Lord. Forgive me and pardon me, O Lord. I repent of my sins. I seek you first as the truth and the life and a way. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me and direct me. In Jesus' name, amen. As we turn to our offertory prayer, and as we wait upon you for your tithes and your offerings and our offertory hymn, let us turn now to our bulletins and repeat together our offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. Mighty God of resurrection power, you offer us life that overcomes death, light that overcomes darkness, hope that overcomes our deepest despair. What response could we offer? Our ties and our gifts, yes, but our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and witness as well. May our minds be about understanding who you are and who you long for us to be in this world. May our hearts overflow with your love, and compassion for the poor, the oppressed, and the forgotten. May our bodies carry us out of the tombs of isolation to engage our neighbors as sisters and brothers. May our witness be the hallelujahs we take with us to bring hope to everyone we meet. In the risen Christ, we pray, Amen. Would you turn with me to our offertory hymn, Purple Hymnals, number 327, crown him with many crowns, please? Thank mm-hmm. stand with me for the doxology please. Father God, we thank you that you're triumphant in God. We echo the shouts of Hosanna and we relive the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and into our hearts and all that waits in the years of our life to come. Like that first parade so long ago, we may have different ideas of what kind of a Messiah we long to welcome. Many of us seek one who thinks like we think, who will well-power to meet our longings. And as we give our gifts this morning, may we be of the same heart and mind of submission to Christ. You know better than us the mission that is needful for your kingdom to come on earth. An old great Spirit, whose breath gives us life to the world and whose voice is heard in the soft breeze, we need your strength and we need your wisdom. Cause us to walk in beauty. Give us the eyes ever to behold the red and the purple sunset, Make us wise so that we may understand what you have taught us. Help us learn the lessons you have hidden in every leaf and rock. Make us always ready to come to you with clean hands and steady eyes, so when life fades like the fading sunset, our spirits may come to you without shame. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: entendemos
0: Jesus when when J. Samuel sent those pictures that the apartment below you and the apartment above you and you're crunched in the middle you're just a hot oven Roseanne did you have anything?
1: Also to you guys, Christ is a Passover land. He's the land of blemish. Without Passover, there's no resurrection. Without resurrection, there's no